Good morning to each one of you. It's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I'm in a little pain, <laughs> and it's Friedrich's fault. Friedrich and Eldon. Uh, Friday night, um, we were with the youth, and uh, Brandon and I challenged them to, to a basketball game, and uh, I've been paying for it ever since. <laughs> you know, God in his wisdom knew that Friedrich should not be six foot tall so that the rest of us have half a chance. <laughs> but I, I enjoyed it, and uh, if I do it more often, it wouldn't hurt so bad, I'm sure. Uh, turn in your Bibles, if you care to, to Romans chapter 1. Uh, in some ways, this message will be a, a bit of a, a continuation of our, our Sunday school class. The title of the message is The Wonder-Working Power of God. I don't know how you find life, but I tend to uh, too often go through life just putting one foot in front of the other. I'm not, not a great man of vision, not near like I ought to be. I don't have these grand five, ten-year plans like a lot of people do of what all they're going to accomplish. You know, I kind of put one foot in front of the other and, and get through uh, that part of the day and then the other part of the day and, and go on and then uh, start out the next day when that comes. And uh, it's a good reminder for me to look at this wonder-working power of God that, that we have promised to us and, and we can experience and we can share with others that need to hear about this. The text verse is chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I think we do well to, uh, when we study God's word, to, to understand at least a bit of who the, the original uh, readership, the intent was, like the, here it is, the, the believers at Rome is who this letter was written to. And, and if we can understand their setting a bit and, and what all they were facing at the time helps us understand a bit how uh, God intended us to apply this to, to our lives. Many times when, when Paul would write a letter, he would say it's to the church at Corinth or to, to the church at Galatia or to the church at Philippi. Here he does not say that it is to the church at Rome. Uh, verse 7 says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God and called to be saints. So it's obviously written to believers, but it, he doesn't say to the church at Rome. I think it's quite clear as we read through the book of Romans that, that the believers there were made up of Jews and Gentiles, which is uh, not, not surprising. I think it's also safe to assume that there was, there was a bit of uh, friction between the Jews and the Gentiles, and, and, there, and there seems to maybe have been more groups than that. If uh, Let's just for a couple minutes... Uh, page back to chapter 16, and we won't read this, but just glancing down through chapter 16, uh, there's, 
There's a couple of reasons why we're not reading this. One is there's some very difficult names in here to pronounce. But as you glance down through there, it talks about, uh, you know, the church that was at uh, Aquila and Priscilla's house. And, and then it talks about different households and the believers there and this, this next household and the believers there. And, and it appears like the believers at Rome uh, were a group of uh, different factions, different splendor groups, uh, different house churches, and, and maybe uh, a fair amount of, of division. If you look there in, in uh, chapter 16, verse 17, Paul says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. So he, he's warning them about division. Uh, so I think we're, it's pretty safe to assume that there was some division there in, in, uh, in the, the, the believers at Rome. A bit about the culture. The, the Roman culture, they were very fond of entertainment. Uh, they had their chariot races, and, and I read one place, uh, you know, 250,000 people would show up for a chariot race. Can you imagine 250,000 people? I can't wrap my mind around a, a, a crowd that size. Uh, they were into drama. They liked to, to uh, be entertained. And not only were they fond of entertainment, Entertainment. They were very fascinated with bloodshed. Uh, the Roman Colosseum. We we know all about that from history. They would turn out fifty to eighty thousand people to to watch someone die in a pool of blood, and then they'd go again and again and again and found this fascinating to see blood, to see people die. The gladiators would uh, sometimes kill wild animals, or the wild animals would kill them, or they would kill each other, and, and many times they would kill Christians. This is you know, just a, a brief introduction to uh, the, the people at Rome that Paul was writing to. Rome was a city that needed to hear about the wonder-working power of God. Let's read here uh, verses 1 through 17 of Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. 
For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey, and by the will of God come to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let here hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This morning we want to to look at three questions uh, from this text verse. Uh, one is, uh, what is the gospel of Christ that, that Paul is referring to here? Why would Paul, or why would you or I, be ashamed of this gospel? And thirdly, who is the gospel for? Uh, very simple questions, but I think good reminders for us about this wonder-working power of God. Let's look at the first question. What is the gospel of Christ? Uh, let's turn to, to another letter of Paul's, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and see what Paul says there about what is the gospel. I remember many years ago I heard a preacher uh, point to these verses and say, this is the, the gospel in, in a nutshell. And I think he was, he was referring to, uh, to verses 3 and 4, but we'll, we'll start at verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ, here's where the, the nutshell version of what the gospel is starts, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again, and the third day according to the scriptures. The fact that Jesus came, he, he died, he rose again. That is the gospel uh, story in a nutshell. Back to, back to our text verse here in Romans 1.16, it says right here in, in this verse that the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. And I'd like to spend some time thinking about this. 
the power of God. What is this power of God? And, and this could be, you could spend a whole week uh, looking at what it means uh, to, to understand and, and to grasp the, the meaning of the power of God. There's a, there's a song that, that came to my mind as I was, I was thinking of the power of God, and I'd just like to read uh, some of the, the stanzas of this song. There's power in the blood, uh, a song probably a favorite of, of many of ours. It, it asks questions, and then, then it responds by saying there's power in the blood. So think of these questions, and are, are these questions you have? Are, are these questions that you're looking for answers for? Uh, hopefully all of us are. Would you be free from your burden of sin? Good question. Would you be free from your burden of sin? The answer is, there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. Would your evil the victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in his life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. Would you do service for Jesus, your king? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. And then the, the course goes, there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. I hope that's, those are questions that all of us have this morning. That's our prayer that, that we would experience that power in, in the blood that uh, that songwriter uh, penned many years ago and we've, we've sung many times. Power in the blood. Power to cleanse. Let's look in uh, 1 John 1, 7. 1 John 1, 7. But if ye walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. I like the combination there of, of the fellowshipping one with another and, and cleansing from God. I don't know how you've found studying the scripture and how you've found the Christian life, but I've been impressed uh, numerous times in, in the last number of years how scripture ties our relationship with God and, and our relationship with fellow Christians, ties those two together time and time and time again. When there's, when there's right vertical relationship, there's right horizontal relationships, and, and you can't separate the two. 
If there's problems horizontally, it, it affects our relationship vertically, vertically with God. And so it, it's very important that we understand that. You know, sometimes we, we can come across as, yeah, I, I'm, I'm getting along fine with God. It's just you folks that are, are making me all kinds of problems. And it doesn't work that way. When, when we are in tune with God, then that, that paves the way for, for good relationships with others. And when relationships with others break down, it hinders our relationship with God. And, and as you study scripture, keep that in mind. It comes out time and time again. And that's, a, that's another whole sermon that for another time. The cleansing power of, of God's blood. That reminds me of another song. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is no other plan. There is no other way to cleanse my heart from sin, your heart from sin. The only way is the blood, the cleansing blood. We're talking this morning about a wonder-working power that God has given to us as human beings. The power to overcome. Let's just go back a few chapters here in Romans. Romans chapter 6. This is a, a passage that has had gripped uh, my heart at, at a young age. The, the connection of how to, to live victorious in, in my walk with the Lord is dependent upon whose servant I am. It's not uh, dependent upon whether I'm a servant or not. I am going to be a servant or a slave the rest of my life. It's just the choice of who my master is going to be. There's only two choices. I can either serve Satan and self or I can serve the Lord. And as we study God's word, it's very clear who we want to be a slave of, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's, let's read, uh, I would really like to read the first, uh, well, it would be nice to read the first 18 verses, but I could see we may run out of time. Uh, let, let's start once, we may skip a few places. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him in baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, and the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that God, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. 
but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law? but under grace, God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. That's that's what it means to to live in victory, to choose our master, a kind, loving master, one who has promised to make our yoke easy and our burden light. We're talking about the power of the blood, the wonder-working power of God, and how the ability to, to overcome a, a sinful life. Let's go back to, to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12 verse 11 says this, They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. These are the the saints that will spend eternity with God. You and I, spending eternity with Christ in heaven. The way is to overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. Back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Another uh, promise here of the ability to overcome. It uses the term here strongholds. And when I think of strongholds, I think of deeply rooted habits that are dragging us down. And probably all of us know uh, at least a bit about that, and, and some more so than others. But it's, it's a terrible thing to, to develop over a period of time a deeply rooted habit that is a drag on, on our Christian life. And, and that becomes a stronghold where Satan has a foot in the door, and, and it can... It can cause havoc in, in our walk with God. Second Corinthians 10, starting at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's the path to, to victory. Let's move on. Uh, the power to live. You know, we talked about the, this blood has the power to cleanse. It has the power to overcome. And the power to, to live. Uh, there's, there's a precious uh, verse there in, in Galatians, uh, Galatians 2.20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a, that's a great verse. That's Paul's testimony. And, and hopefully that can, be the, that can be and hopefully is the testimony of, of every one of us here this morning. Crucified with Christ so that we can live with Christ. We have to die with Christ in order to, to live with Christ. I'd like to tell you a little bit about Cousin Kenny. I had a cousin named Kenny. Uh, Kenny was or is uh, probably six years older than myself. Uh, he was a real hero of mine back when I was just a young chap. Uh, he taught me how to ride bike. Uh, now this, this will tell my age and tell your age. If you have no clue what I'm talking about, uh, you obviously were not living back then. Uh, how many know what a screaming Lucy is with a, a, a green little bike with a big long banana seat and a sissy bar? Does that ring a bell with anybody? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, very few of you were living back in those days, but uh, that was the bike to have. And my cousin Kenny had a green screaming Lucy with a banana seat and a sissy bar. And that's how I learned to ride bike. Um, this long banana seat, probably that long, there was nothing comfortable about them. It was a bad idea, and it didn't stay around long, but... Uh, it worked nice for me to learn ride, to ride bike because Cousin Kenny would sit at the back of the banana seat up against the sissy bar. I would sit on the front of the banana seat and I would pedal away and he would drag his feet like training wheels and, and that's how I learned to ride bike. So, so I liked Cousin Kenny. But Cousin Kenny was not always a good boy. Uh, he was in his early teens. This is probably... Uh, somewhere in the mid to late 60s, and um, he had bad attitudes. His, his family had just moved to uh, my grandpa's feed mill, and he didn't like working in the feed mill. He wanted to, to ride bike and to go fishing and all those kinds of things. The Conestoga Creek come right down past the, the feed mill there, and that's, that's where he wanted to spend his time. He did not like the dusty, dirty, hard work that was uh, associated with the feed mill. So he, he had some real attitudes about that, that feed mill. He also uh, used some bad words. 
Um, he, when, when bad attitudes came, bad words often came with them. And Cousin Kenny showed me some bad pictures, probably the first time I ever saw bad pictures. But Cousin Kenny at some point gave his heart to the Lord. And uh, as a younger fellow, this was probably one of my first memories of seeing the wonder-working power of God in someone's life close to me. And I saw Cousin Kenny uh, no longer use bad words. He no longer had bad attitudes. Cousin Kenny was happy. He was, he was interested in the things of God. And that, that left a real impression on my life. God changes people's hearts. And when God changes people's hearts, it affects the way they live, the way they talk, the attitudes they have. And, and that, as a, as a little boy, that really impacted my life. Some years later, Kenny fell and uh, crushed both heels, uh, had a, a long recovery, a lot of pain. Kenny uh, got married, had a family. Kenny's oldest daughter uh, married a young man, and uh, probably in a year or less, this, this man divorced her, and now she's living single for... Oh, it, it could be uh, 15, 20 years. Uh, yeah, something like that. That she's living as a, as a single lady. A painful time for Cousin Kenny. But Cousin Kenny's walking with God. And he's living a victorious life because he chose. He chose to lay his, his own selfish way aside. And, and that affected my life. In, in, uh, in a way, Cousin Kenny probably will, will never really know. I saw firsthand the wonder-working power of God in Cousin Kenny's life. Let's think a bit, why would Paul, or you, or I, be ashamed of the kind of power that we've just been talking about? Why? Why would we ever be ashamed of that gospel, that kind of power that can cleanse, that can change lives, that can turn people from darkness to light, from stumbling in confusion to a clear walk with God, to a life of joy in, in this life and, and eternity with Christ? Why? Why would we be ashamed of that? Paul says he's not, but the fact that he mentions he's not would almost indicate that, that there's at least a, a temptation or a possibility that he would. The Roman people, like we mentioned earlier, uh, were fascinated with bloodshed. And the person's blood that was shed was the loser. Always. They were the loser. So to come and to preach a gospel where the winner, the savior, is 
slain, crucified, blood is shed. How can the loser become the winner? That, that didn't make any sense to the Romans. How someone whose blood was shed can become king of king and lord of lords. There, there's, there's no connection there for them. Foolish, ridiculous. We, we talked about that some in Sunday school class. And to rise from the dead? <laughs> they never heard of that. They never saw that happen. In the Colosseum, you know, when the blood was shed, they were dead, and they stayed dead. There was none of this resurrection. It was ridiculous, unheard of. And this whole idea of, you know, if you want to be great, you become servant. What, what, a, what a strange, what a strange religion. To be seen great in the eyes of God, you, you serve others. Their idea was, and oftentimes our idea is, great leadership, great things, accomplishing a lot. Everybody just standing in awe. Wow, what a man. What, a, what an accomplishment. No, a servant is the way to climb the ladder in, in God's kingdom. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says this, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Denying self, that's, that's the way to Greatness in God's kingdom. That goes against our human nature. And maybe that's why so many times we maybe are ashamed of this wonder-working power of God because it calls for denying self, and denying self comes hard. We need to hurry on. Who is this wonder-working power for? It's for everyone. It's for you. It's for me. It's for everyone you ever meet. And that's, that's a reminder that all of us must continually remind ourselves of. Because we, we rub shoulders with people that it, it looks hopeless. They're just... It's just, it's just too bad. They're just gone too far. There's just, it's too far back. But no, this is wonder-working power of the blood of Christ that can clean up any life, any sin. And we must not forget that. Matthew 10, 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. Whosoever, anyone, everyone. We're talking about the wonder-working power of God and who is it for. The Great Commission. Sometimes we start out the Great Commission with, Go ye therefore. 
But that's not how it starts. It starts back a phrase. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That's where the Great Commission starts. That's an important part that too often we leave out. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. Remember when there's a therefore, you look back. So let's remember. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even unto the end of the world. This wonder-working power is for everyone. Let's not forget that. When we see the person down and out and, and just hopelessly wrapped up in themselves and in sin and, and, and obviously a servant of Satan, they are just as much a candidate as, as you or I or, or anyone else that, that we know. I don't know how you find it, but I find it encouraging to look at this wonder-working power of God and, and how, what a tremendous blessing that we have, that, that God's word and God and his love and mercy has, has shown to us. And let's not give up hope for anyone. Probably all of us have relatives that, that are servants of Satan because they have chose to serve him rather than to serve the Lord. Let's not give up hope. Let's reach out to them and, and encourage them to choose to serve the Lord and, and experience this wonder-working power that God has. I think many times we can be tempted. What can I do? I'm just one person. And the needs are so vast. There's, there's needs in the family, there's needs in the church, there's needs in the community, there's needs at work, there's needs everywhere I go, and I'm just one person. What can I do? I'd like to, to share a little story, and, and uh, many of you are familiar with this. We're going back to Rome, uh, the Roman Colosseum, and we want to look briefly at a man named Telemachus. Uh, how many of you are familiar with him? Probably most of you are. Uh, he was a brave. There's, there's very varying stories about this man, and the details vary quite a bit. And so I just, I have no way of knowing which is accurate, but I kind of went with, with one. Uh, this is the account uh, that I chose to share. Telemachus was a brave elderly monk who went to the Roman Colosseum in 404 AD to observe the gladiatorial games in its splendor. And some would say he had a, an, an inner calling. Uh, he had no desire to go to Rome, but he, he had this inner calling that he should go to Rome. He, he was a monk. He liked to be out in the middle of nowhere, uh, worshiping God, but, but he, he felt called to go to Rome. Upon witnessing the gruesome spectacle of men slaughtering other men for the pleasure of the crowd, 
Telemachus scaled over the wall onto the Colosseum floor to stand in between the two combatants. He shouted three times, In the name of Christ, stop! The gladiators separated, but the crowd stood up and stoned Telemachus to death because he had interrupted their entertainment for the afternoon. Once they recognized what they had done to the elderly man, the crowd became quiet and slowly filed out of the stadium in silence. When the good emperor heard of the heroism of Telemachus, he put an end to the gladiatorial games forever, and Telemachus was designated as a saint for his heroic stance for humanity and truth. Here's, here's one man. Uh, you know, there was probably, uh, people estimate, maybe 80,000 people there in the Colosseum that day. One man decided this should stop. And in the name of Jesus, he asked these people to stop. He lost his life. But, you know, I mentioned there's... Uh, a variety of accounts of what happened, but one thing they all agree on is that this was the end of the the gladiatorial fights. One man made a difference. Did that mean all these people went to heaven? No. But he stopped something that was very, very bad. Single-handedly, because God had called him to do it. So let's not think that we're just one person, that we can't make a difference. We can. We can make a difference. I had to think of, you know, uh, we think our country is is really uh, going down the tubes, and in a lot of ways it it, it is. Uh, But when you think of, you know, the, the general population being fascinated week after week with people killing each other, you know, we're not quite there. But then I had to think, you know, 1.3 million unborn babies every year. Isn't that sad? And, you know, what are we doing? What am I doing to, to stop all that, that bloodshed I think all of us should take heart that this wonder-working power is powerful. It's here. It's to make a difference in this world. And it starts with making a difference in my life and in your life. And ripples out from there, touching our families, touching our, our friends, our neighbors. Let's take heart. A difference can be made, and it can start with you. Let's have a song.